one. There we go. As Paul said, and I hope everyone realizes, this is the last day of 2023. A new year begins tomorrow. And with this transition from old to new, with so much seeming uncertainty in our world, it's a great time to talk about hope. And as Paul said, I'm going to talk today from a passage in Romans. The, uh, this was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, chronologically, this probably took place after his two letters to the Thessalonians and to his two letters to the Corinthians. And in this letter, he's really talking about basic, basic gospel, what salvation is and what it means, God's faithfulness, life to the Holy Spirit, being a living sacrifice. And in the passage we'll look at today, about midway through the letter, we'll focus specifically on God's sovereignty and God's purpose in our lives. Let me start by saying that I do not believe in coincidences, no coincidence in life. I believe God is at work in all things. God works through the circumstances of life to bring out something abundantly good, even out of what we perceive to be our darkest moments. And that's the basis of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, as you'll see on the screen. Paul writes, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, so that we might, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. These verses are a promise that we are not victims of life at the mercy of fate or chance. We are under God's providential care, under his guiding and protecting hands. This truth impacts every area of our life and every moment of our lives. God rules in all the circumstances of life. And as I said, it's for something abundantly good. What is it? Well, well good does not mean comfort. It doesn't mean a life of no pain, no stress, no suffering. No, we see what the good is in verse 29, to be conformed to the likeness of his son is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Conformed indicates an inner change of nature working into my outward life. By being conformed to Christ's likeness through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, people should see Christ-like nature, character, and actions in my life. God's eternal purpose is that I and you be conformed to the image of his Son and glorify God forever. God wants us to become like Jesus because there is no higher purpose or goal for us to realize. Becoming like Jesus is not just our ultimate destiny. It's our immediate responsibility. It means showing mercy as he showed mercy, loving as he loved, serving as he served, and even suffering as he suffered. And as Paul wrote this, I'm sure suffering was not far from his mind. In Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, which most biblical scholars believe immediately preceded his letter to the Romans, he wrote that he had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten to the point of death, stoned, left out on open seas, and much, much more. In chapter 12, Paul wrote that he had a thorn in his flesh, we don't know what that was, but that he pleaded to God to remove it. And in these verses, in chapter 12, God responds. But God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast, Paul saying this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew suffering. But he also knew that in his weakness, he was being made strong in the likeness of Jesus. The process of making us more like Jesus involves many means. The first and most important to me is the word of God. Inerrant, powerful, always, always, always go to the word. But God also uses all things, people and circumstances to conform us to Jesus' image. And people and circumstances are where I would like to focus today. The biblical doctrine of Romans 8, 28, and 29 is expressed vividly in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Let's look at all the seeming coincidences, air quotes here, in his life, and not all of them are what we would consider to be positive, at least how we look at things. His brothers wanted to kill him, but they decided to instead throw him in a dry pit. And it just so happened that a group of slave traders were coming by. It happened that he was sold to a rich man, Potiphar, where he rose to influence. And it happened that Potiphar's wife, as we know, was a seductress, and Joseph refused her. She accused him of attempted rape, and he's thrown into prison. And it also shows that you may suffer for doing what's right. It happened that when he was in prison for years, mind you, he interprets dreams of two other inmates. And it happened that the one inmate who survived is the Pharaoh's cupbearer. And it happened that this servant remembered again, years later, Joseph's God-given ability to interpret dreams. Joseph interprets the dream of the Pharaoh, and as we know, becomes Pharaoh's number two. Now, who wants to be sold into slavery or in unjustly sentenced to prison? So why did all this happen? Well, Joseph prepares Egypt with seven years of plenty to get ready for seven years of drought and starvation. His brothers go to Egypt to get food during this time of famine, and we get the answer in Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 and 8. In talking to his brothers after he reveals who he is, he says this, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph realized that God had been at work, even in difficult times, slavery, wrongful imprisonment for him to save his brothers. Now, we know that, too, because in reading Joseph's story, three times we read these words, the Lord was with Joseph. Later in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph reiterated to his brothers that God was the reason he went through what he did. In verse 20, he says to his brothers, you brothers intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Coincidence? Did these things, these all things in Joseph's life just 
happen? No, it was to save his brothers and many, many other lives. But this story is not even just about saving lives. No, it's more than that. It's about maturing Joseph, someone who was arrogant, spoiled. Remember that uh, multicolored coat story? <laughs> yeah, spoiled. Someone on the top of the world one moment was dragged in shackles behind camels the next. But through the people and circumstances, the happenstances, the all things, Joseph realizes that he was never in control in the first place. What did he learn? Humility. The skills to be a leader. Forgiveness. He learned to trust God, seeing God's hand amid everything he experienced. God cared more about developing Joseph's character than in providing for his comfort. In the story of Joseph, we see God working his will through the everyday events of life. God's power and majesty take both the good and evil of Joseph's family, of Potiphar and his wife, of Pharaoh and his servants, and uses them for good. Joseph's story is about the hidden but sure way of God arranging ordinary events to their appointed and extraordinary end. Thousands of years later, Joseph's story of God's providential care in difficult times provides us with a message of hope. When we recognize God's sovereignty, his hand in what happens around us, Scripture states unmistakably that God's plans cannot be thwarted. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, God states this, I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God's sovereignty means there are no events over which he does not rule. There are no situations that happen which he does not either create or allow. You may be going through difficult times. My message of hope is this. God is in control in all things, and he's with you, and he's for you. We sometimes don't see that because we may be looking for an extraordinary showing of God. But God often works through the helping hands of ordinary people and circumstances to bring about the extraordinary ultimately resulting in us conforming to Christ's image, giving us a deeper, richer insight into our Heavenly Father, and showing us that God is sovereign over everything. I want to share you, with you a, a personal story of how I experienced God's providence in the events surrounding my younger brother's death. On May 3, 2004, my younger brother Keith passed away from a rare form of meningitis in London at the age of 32. He was a foreign missionary with the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board. Now, back in the mid-1990s, Keith met Michelle Whitten on a mission trip to Albania. They shared a passion for international missions and fell in love, and after they were married, they dedicated their lives to serve in Muslim countries in North Africa and the Middle East. They lived in Tunisia and then South France, and then ended up in England in 2002. Fast forward to late April 2004. Keith had gotten back from an extended trip to North African countries and began complaining of an excruciating headache. 
he was finally diagnosed with cryptococcal meningitis, which causes swelling on the brain. Within a week, he had passed away. Now, I don't have time today to share every single event, each seeming coincidence, and there were many, that occurred surrounding the time of his death to show me that God was in all things. But I want to share two briefly. Now, when my family here in Gainesville drove to Texas for Keith's funeral, we stopped in Louisiana about halfway through the 15-hour drive. The next morning, Jody and our kids went to breakfast, and I did not feel much like eating. So I turned on the TV and understand I never watch morning television. But that morning I did. And I turned on the Today Show. And on that morning they had actress and singer Kathy Lee Gifford on. And this was before she became a Today Show host. And what she did was she was talking about the pain she had experienced when she had heard and found out that her husband had had an affair. She shared her testimony and read Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Like, how often does a celebrity get on national TV and read from the Bible, you know? Coincidence? I don't think so. That was exactly what I needed to hear in my grief. This verse pulled me through the days that followed. Now, back in November 2003, five months before Keith got sick, I got a research paper accepted to an academic conference in, of all places, Dublin, Ireland, in late May 2004. Now, two weeks after the funeral in Texas, I left for that academic conference for a quite a different purpose than what Keith and I had originally planned was for me to go over to London and see the sights there with him. No, instead, I watched their two boys, at the time ages seven and four, and consoled Michelle. And while I was there, Keith's church had a memorial service for him. And before the service, I saw God's hand again. One man introduced himself and said his father had been the pastor at my, my parents' little, and I mean little, country church more than 30 years before. He happened to be in England on a mission trip and had heard about Keith's death and wanted to let me know that his family was praying for us. Coincidence? No. As I said, there were many other examples of God's hand at work, but as my brief story here shows, we all will experience pain and loss and grief. And during these times, it's easy to become hopeless despondent when your world seems to be crumbling down around you. But if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. God is in control, and God is working for good. He's there with you during your time of trial and hardship. Why do I believe this? He arranged for my parents' former pastor's son to be there at the right place, at the right time, whose presence meant so much at that precise moment. He spoke to me through Kathy Lee Gifford, who in my time of need shared God's word of comfort and truth. And he orchestrated it so that I was able to be in London to support and help Michelle in all of time at just the right moment, weaving it all 
together. Now, what I experienced during those weeks around my brother's death changed how I view these seemingly little things and my previous mindset about things just happening. I think the Christ-like character I've seen more in my life since this time is intentionality. I've been more intentional as it relates to my interactions with others because of how I experienced God's intentionality by orchestrating all these events. Jesus was intentional. His intentional actions resulted in a change of heart and spirit in people's lives. Take Zacchaeus, the swindler tax collector that we read about in Luke chapter 19. Jesus was intentional, seeking out Zacchaeus. The result, Zacchaeus gave back all that he had cheated people of and more. He had a change of heart. Now, if we think things just happen, we will never be intentional to look for the opportunities, the divine appointments God places in our lives every day, opportunities to provide hope, opportunities to share God's love and his gospel, opportunities to give hope. Ask God for those opportunities. And for those going through difficulties, opportunities to be ministered to or opportunities to help others who are going through similar trying times. In all cases, opportunities for us to live out what it is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have the opportunity every day to be God's hand and feet. We live and work in a world where people come into our homes, our offices, our classes who are hurting, who are searching. People can feel hopeless. We can be the help the ear to hear, the hand to act, if we just open ourselves to that. Ask God to show you, to quicken your heart. Sounds like becoming more Christ-like, doesn't it? And I believe God has divine appointments for us all now more than ever because I've seen how God has intentionally woven the story of my family and Salt Church together making Romans 8, 28, and 29 even more real to me as I learned how God had been working all things for good with a connection more than three decades prior, a thread that ties back to my younger brother, Keith, and Michelle. Now, last June in 2022, Jody had a conversation with Michelle at my parents' house near College Station, Texas, that went something like this. So here's Jody, here's Michelle. We're going to a new church now. What church? It's called Salt Church. Is that like Salt Company? Salt Company is the college ministry. How do you, how do you know? <laughs> Jody, I was a member of Salt Company. As an aside, Michelle got her degree at Iowa State University, and she was a member of, wait for it, Cornerstone Church, the parent church of the SALT Network. Michelle goes on. Here's Michelle again. Jody, and don't you remember? Cornerstone's first mission trip was to Albania. That's where Keith and I met. Remember back when I said that Keith met Michelle on a mission trip to Albania? That trip? Cornerstone, the parent church of this church, sponsored it. <laughs> and nope, I didn't remember which church had sponsored it either until Jody's conversation last year with Michelle. 
At the time, more than 30 years ago, my brother was a student at Southwestern Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and he had heard about Cornerstone's upcoming mission trip, and he asked if he could join. That was his first mission trip and instilled in him a passion for international missions. Oh, and there are a few more threads. Let's go back to the conversation. Here's Michelle again. Who's the pastor of Salt Church? Paul Sabino. No. I knew Paul when I was in college there. Michelle and Paul knew each other 30 years ago. Now, Keith and Michelle got to know Troy Nesbitt, the pastor at Cornerstone Church, so well, in fact, that they lived with Troy's parents for a while. Troy attended Keith and Michelle's wedding in Texas. So I met Troy more than two decades ago, and no, neither he or I remembered that either until we re-met again in January of this year. But apparently we did. Now, Paul was on sabbatical last summer when Jody and Michelle had had their conversation. So when he got back, Jody and I asked him, do you remember Michelle Whitten? And then he looked right at me. He doesn't answer my question and asks, are you Keith's brother? It gave me chills. It still does. Now, I believe Paul and I did not put two and two together before because God wanted all this revealed in God's time. I mean, if, he, if we had realized the connection with me and Keith when Salt Church was still at the fellowship hall of the previous church, it could have been Paul saying something like, hey, I knew your brother and sister-in-law. We'd love for you to be here at Salt Church. Or me saying, my brother and sister-in-law met through a mission trip Cornerstone Church organized. I want to be part of Cornerstone's church plant here. No. Instead, God allowed Jody and me to come to the realization that we needed to be a part of this church at the specific time God had ordained, kind of like God saying, I had that plan for you more than 30 years ago. When I began weaving the tapestry threads together between your family and Salt Church, God was crafting my destination while he was developing me. So let's think about this for a minute. God weaved this unique combination of events from the thousands of churches across this country, the number of mission trips initiated from the U.S. over the past 30 years, a chance comment in an ordinary conversation between Jody and Michelle. So now that it's been revealed that Jody and I are members of the church plant from the parent church that through God's divine plan ignited my younger brother's passion for missions and where he and his wife met three decades ago. To me, that's amazing. But what we may consider to be amazing, God thinks of as normal for him. Because as we read in Isaiah, God is ruler over all. So in his sovereignty over everything, God can say to us as we experience our all things, child, trust me. Trust me that my purpose in what you're going through, the things you see and the things that you don't see is for you to know my son and to become more and more like him. That's it. Simply, God's purpose for us in all things. Now, it may not be often that you will see God tie up all these threads like the story I just shared. In fact, it's very likely that you won't see God's 
how God uses our words, our actions, our giving for his glory on this side of heaven. But these stories in my life and what we've read in God's word today have taught me two things. First, there is no such thing as coincidence. If you start with the foundation that God is sovereign and in his sovereignty, he providentially arranges all things to accomplish his goal, what some may see as random events, chance encounters, or arbitrary connections are actually orchestrated events in both the purpose and plan of God. And second, God works in all things. All things. The extraordinary and the ordinary, just like you and me. Romans 8.28 does not say God works in just the big events. No, God can use even the smallest object or event for his purpose. He works in circumstances, in good time circumstances, and in those we may consider to be not so good. And in conversations. I mean, if Jody and Michelle wouldn't have had that conversation last June, we might not have ever realized the connections I shared today. All this has taught me that what we say and what we do matter. And he works it all for our good. So as we head into a new year, a few things to start the year right. First, for everyone, I would encourage you to be open, be willing, and be available. Be open to look for divine appointments, what others would call coincidences or happenstances, but what we now know to be God instances. Be willing to act on those opportunities. Consider what God wants to accomplish in and through your life in these circumstances. And be available when God calls you to be his hands and feet. Be available and intentional to look for ways to be conformed to Christ's image and to help those around you to be conformed to Christ's image. Second, for those of you who may be in the midst of difficulty, be hopeful, be hopeful. Know this, God is not just with you in your struggle. God is for you. Continuing in Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to this? If God, some translations say, since God, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What a truth. What a promise. God is not just with you in your trial. He's for you. With is a description of location. For is a description of action, of advocacy. To be for you is to be actively involved for your good. And since he's for you, who can be against you? No one. What hope? God's advocacy does not mean that we won't experience pain and hardship. It means that in any circumstance, illness, broken relationship, a rebellious or wayward child, financial instability, no matter how distressing or difficult, we can know God is somehow working it for good. Now, how do we know God is for us? The cross of Jesus. As Paul wrote in verse 32, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If God did that, please believe he's with you and for you in your struggle. 
what you may be in right now, if God is not ready to deliver you from it, look for him in it. He joins you in it. God is for you. He will use all things to work together for good. And that good will always, always be connected with conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, these verses have a qualifier. In verse 28, it says, The all things that work for good, making us more like Jesus, is for those who love him. So third, for anyone here today who has never reached out to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can't be conformed to his image, not yet. But hear this, as Paul wrote in verse 32, God loves you so much, he didn't spare his son, but gave him up for you. For me, you being here today is not a coincidence. It's a divine appointment. Act on that today and receive Jesus. That's the first step. And then live a life where all things shape you to be more and more like him. What a great way to end the old year and start the new one with a brand new life. Now, as we read today in God's word, through God's providence, everything contributes what is needed for us to be shaped into the image of Jesus. There is no coincidence. No chance. God is in control. My hope for us all in this new year is not to take opportunities for granted or think of them as just coincidences, but instead for us to consider how God has divinely appointed happenstances to bring about his purpose, conforming us to Jesus in all things, to be used by him we need to give up our self-control and let him work through us to provide hope and help to those around us. Let's all look for divine appointments this new year. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much that your purpose for us is to be conformed to Jesus. Father, open our eyes to see the divine appointments you place in our lives every day that make us more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.